0: Our guest today is one of our favorite financial markets reporters, Chelsea Delaney from the Wall Street Journal. And we've been talking about having Chelsea on for a while because of, frankly, a number of articles, one not so long ago about the renewed fears of a doom loop in Italy. But we especially knew we had to have her on When she published an article recently in the journal about, I think, a topic a lot of people would have viewed as maybe niche in the sovereign debt markets, or maybe before reading the article would have said, oh, this is a tiny, tiny issue that doesn't really come up. Uh, And the topic was the renewed use of syndicated loans in the sovereign debt markets. And until I read the article, I think I would have been one of those people who thought of it as kind of a small, uh, small niche issue. You know, we had a bunch of syndicated lending in the 70s and 80s, but that's all dried up and switched mostly to sovereign bonds. And so that's the world that we live in, right? The the world where syndicated commercial loans are, they're kind of project finance and stuff like that, but countries don't use them to borrow for general budgetary purposes. This article that kind of blows up that whole understanding and raises all kinds of really interesting issues that we're excited to to talk to Chelsea about. And just um, uh, speaking for for myself for a second, also excited because Chelsea's a, a Tar Heel, a graduate uh, of UNC. So it's always nice to talk to, to fellow Tar Heels. So Chelsea, welcome and, and thanks so much for, for joining us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Can you just
0: give us background, because I do think the importance of this development would not have been obvious to a lot of people uh, uh, at the outset. And so I'm really interested, to the extent you can tell us, how you got interested in the question and what rabbit holes you found yourself going down uh, as you started to, to do your research.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess the, the caveat is that I've only recently started covering emerging markets here at the journal. Uh, so I've been, I've been doing this for a couple of months now. Um, and so everything was kind of new to me. So maybe that had something to do with uh, with my sudden interest in syndicated loans. But I guess the, the original impetus for it was, obviously, it, right now, a lot of emerging markets have been basically shut out of the bond market, uh, especially for, for foreign currency bonds. I think July was the first month um, in in many years that we didn't have a single emerging market foreign currency bond. So clearly, these people are, are not being able, they're not borrowing, you know, in their normal channel. So I was sort of curious where they might be getting money from. Um, and so one of the things that kept coming up when countries would cancel Euro bond issuance plans was they would look at syndicated loans so that I just kept seeing that sort of repeated over and over again. Um, and then, yeah, I guess it wasn't something I'd known a lot about because as you sort of indicated for for the past decades, it's been mostly bond markets that emerging market sovereigns have been borrowing from. So, to me, it sounded a bit strange, and it seemed a bit niche. But I think it was one of those things where, at first, you're like, "Ah, maybe this isn't really a story." And then you call a couple people, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know, I'm not really covering that." But then you call a couple more, and then they're like, "And then they're like, yes, absolutely, you're really onto something." Um, so I think I got that moment when I called some of the the bankers who were working on syndicated loans, and yeah, they said they were just seeing suddenly this this huge increase and in, and in demand from uh, from particularly lower rated um, emerging market governments that had been shut out of the bond market this year.
2: So Chelsea, if, I'm, if I may follow up in terms of the background, uh, they, I, actually I have a number of background questions to the story uh, in part because I, I'm, I'm just very jealous that a journalist and I'm especially annoyed that you say you're new to the emerging markets uh, and still you found it before we did. We're supposed to be the ones who are experts on this market. I think Mark and I will have to stop, stop that uh, label that we give ourselves. But in terms of, I, I saw you had data on the size of the syndicated loan market vis-a-vis emerging market uh, sovereigns in in July. And You just talked about how it was basically zero in terms of the bond market financing, which stunned me. I should have known that, but I knew rates were up, but I didn't realize that basically nobody had been able to tap the market. And then I was looking at August data before our um, chat, and I think there was one issuance by Mexico, but I couldn't find anything else in the database that I looked at. How did you even get the data you cite to a report from Standard Chartered and uh, Deologic? Uh, but is there, like, this is really a trivial question, but like, do you go to Deologic and is there something you search for on sovereign syndicated loans? Or like, how does one even begin to do
1: this story? <laughs> well, Deologic is a company that we've worked with for a long time. So they, they do track, pretty detailed. Um, they, they have very detailed data on syndicated loan volumes. Um, so I went to them first and then Standard Chartered also has their own syndicated loan database based on Standard Chartered data. And actually they were giving me very different numbers, which was a bit interesting, but I think, um, yeah, there's all sorts of search parameters, but the I guess we've talked a bit about how the market for syndicated loans, especially for for sovereigns, is is it's a bit opaque, but there are pretty detailed um, sort of volume da- data out there from provide data providers like Dealogic. So,
2: so what level of granularity are you able to get? Do we know um, which sovereigns are tapping the syndicated loan market right now? So, you talked about Ghana and. Kenya but what about I- I- issuers like South Africa or um the Latin American issuers is is this i mean the size that you reported i think something like uh 6.8 billion uh dollars worth of issuances that that's huge that's a lot of syndicated potentially a lot of syndicated loan issues although I, I think the Ghanaian one was itself a billion so that, you know, that's only seven. So seven is a lot, but I'm guessing many of these countries if I think of a country like uh, the Maldives or Fiji, I mean, they're not gonna tap more than a few hundred million, uh, I would guess. They, it, do you have a sense of who's, who's doing the borrowing and are the August numbers uh, increasing?
1: Yeah, um I mean the data is pretty granular. So the data you're citing um which I guess for for listeners it showed through July the volume for syndicated loans to emerging market governments specifically in the Middle East and Africa was at about 13 billion, basically double the previous year. Um and yeah, it was this was looking specifically at the Middle East and and um In Africa, and it's a wide range. So I think this is the other thing that's changed a lot this year. Was the yes, the volume in terms of dollar amount has gone up, um, but the number of deals has has skyrocketed. So this year it's been about forty deals compared to sixteen last year. So it does seem that there are a lot of smaller a lot of smaller deals this year uh, as well. So nineteen countries in this region have. Um, taken out that, these loans so far, and it's it's really a broad range. I mean, some I think one of the the bigger ones is is Oman, um, Tanzania, Ivory Coast, Morocco. It's South Africa as well. Uh, so it's yeah, it's 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 a huge variety.
0: So what was the reaction that the you got from market participants? You talked a little bit about how. Uh, you know after a bit of digging you re- got people to to talk about the volume and how there was uh, seemingly a lot of demand was there a, a reaction about the significance or importance or or what this meant i mean that one way to look at it and you allude to this uh, in the article is that you know with tighter money now these countries are having trouble accessing the bond market. And so there's this shift uh, potentially into syndicated loans. But did people look at that and say, like, oh, that's a sign that trouble's brewing down the road? Were they indifferent? Was there a reaction to it in terms of what it meant?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, you know, at the beginning, that was sort of. One of the questions I wanted to answer as well, and I'm not sure if in the end I, I really was able to, is like, is this a sign of desperation among some of the, um, you know, the poorest countries like that they are reaching to banks rather than the euro bond market? And I think there's a lot of different views on that. And one of the big questions is like, are these, how risky is is a syndicated loan versus a euro bond? And you know, if you're if you're Ghana and your euro bonds are trading at twenty two percent right now, like that's also extremely risky. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like there's there's different views, and I think sort of from a historical perspective, syndicated loans were basically the the way that most it was it was the primary source of. Uh, of private funding to emerging markets until the Latin American debt crisis. So they they did sort of precede this big crisis, but things a lot of things have changed since then as well. So not just you know banking regulatory standards, but um, a lot of a lot of these loans as well now come with things like guarantees uh, or, or credit uh, risk insurance. So there have been more safeguards put in place. As well. um one of the big concerns with syndicated loans that I heard, particularly from you know people in in the countries where loans are being considered, like Kenya or Ghana, was that you know they 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 do tend to be shorter term than a lot of eurobond issuances. And in the past years, Countries like Ga- or Kenya, excuse me, have been really urged to get away from syndicated loans because they're they're shorter term, they have floating interest rates, um, and so the fact that they are going back is is a bit concerning, even if you consider that they are shut out of the Eurobond market and and their uh, financing costs there are basically uh, unaffordable to them. But there's obviously a big risk when you benchmark your borrowing costs to the Federal Reserve's lending rates right now, they're going up very, very quickly. So if Kenya was looking at a a rate of I think something like 7% plus a quasi-fed rate, uh, that very quickly is going over 10%. So those are, those costs are going up a lot. And then you have to think of their refinancing risks when they have all these all this debt rolling over in, in the next couple of years.
0: So I'm wondering if I can, if I can just ask a quick follow-up, which me too, you might even have some thoughts on as well. But um, so what, one way to look at this, I think is that because money's tighter, investors are starting to price risk (laughs) when they, they weren't really doing a whole lot of that before. And a lot of the countries that you talk about that are switching uh to syndicated lending are pretty poor credits and so when money's tighter they have to you know they borrow short they pay a lot they tend to borrow relatively small amounts and and maybe for the Euro bond markets are not the most efficient way to do that kind of borrowing so they kind of gravitate towards syndicated lending and so a, a lot of these concerns could be described as just concerns about the broader economic climate and how it's affecting uh, poorer countries in particular. But I'm I'm wondering too if there are problems or risks inherent in the syndicated loan structure that are worth talking about separately uh, from the these broader economic uh, concerns. So I, I wonder, Chelsea, if if folks had thoughts about syndicated lending as a as a loan product, independent of their thoughts about what this shift to syndicated lending kind of meant about the broader economic climate.
1: Mm. I mean, there's a reason why countries have gotten away from using them in recent years. And I mean, that sort of started after the Latin American debt crisis. But I think up until you saw a lot of um, a lot of lower rated issuers going to the market for the first time in I think the 2010s this was still you know the primary way that a lot of uh, a lot of smaller countries were were financing themselves so I think that there are broader concerns about the use of syndicated loans because some of those factors I mentioned because they're shorter term because they do have, rates that float based on the federal reserve's terms as well and you hear this basically from from anybody except maybe the bankers themselves these are seen as quite opaque that they that um that there isn't a lot of information known about you know the terms of these loans sometimes the loans themselves haven't been publicized like Mozambique. Uh, some of those loans were syndicated loans that had never been announced. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I think that there are certainly broader concerns about the use of these outside of just the fact that this is an extraordinary financing crunch for a lot of poor countries and, and this is where they're turning.
2: Chelsea, I promise this is the last question before we take a break and then we'll move hopefully in the second half to the contracts themselves. But in what you heard from people in the market, did you get a sense that in the normal life of a country going into crisis or dealing with a sudden rise in the cost of borrowing or uh, an increase in the value of dollar when they have to repay their prior debts Uh, denominated in dollars. So we have a bunch of factors uh, operating at the same time that are causing crunches in these countries. Is it your sense that what countries turn to are syndicated loans? It's like when things are good, I go to the bond market. When things get a little worse, I go to syndicated loan market. I I confess that was not my understanding. I've always thought of banks as being tough to borrow from and imposing greater conditionality and uh, tougher terms and this this seems to be a story of oh the bond market won't give us money so now we'll go to standard chartered but i, I mean I, that's not how i thought of this and so that i'm wondering whether the, i've had it upside down or this this new trend towards syndicated loans is being driven by some other aspects like guarantees or insurance or something like that.
1: Mm -hmm. I guess one thing I noticed that this is definitely not the only thing that, you know, sovereigns in distress are, are looking at. Like one thing we've also seen in recent months is a big push to issue more on local markets so local currency bonds uh, a lot of countries are doing that instead we've seen things like you know more samurai issuances and yen denominated bonds so there are definitely other things that countries are are looking at of course also many are going to to the IMF or looking at other multilateral lenders um I guess for for some countries like Kenya or Ghana like they they do have sort of these long-standing relationships with banks like standard chartered, like they, these are things that have been in place for a long time. So, and they have borrowed from them in the past, especially for things like trade finance or project finance, even after sort of the the retrenchment and and syndicated loan lending in the nineties, that's something that's existed and and maintained is that these banks do continue to, to lend Quite aggressively for you know infrastructure projects and things like that to to sovereign governments, um, and now I've forgotten your question. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> no, I think the, the, your answer
2: actually was 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 quite on point, and it is probably a uh, time for us to take a break, and then we'll try to ask more coherent <laughs> questions. But you did actually answer the question, so time for a break. <laughs> mind we'd like to turn to the specific terms a little bit and i want to get to the legal terms but i'm going to start with the financial terms and in particular the the um maturity structure and the sort of insurance slash guarantee aspect and uh, the the interest rate structure so in your article I got the impression that people were saying that one of the reasons we needed to worry about syndicated uh, lending was that they tend to have a shorter maturity five-year maturity uh they they tend to have a flexible interest rate so then the country is subject to uh interest rate fluctuation risks, but just, and uh, maybe we uh, put aside the guarantee insurance aspect for a little bit, but this puzzled me because five-year maturity is pretty standard in the sovereign bond market. In fact, most emerging market countries, uh, at least if you're a frontier country, the maturity of both bonds is either five or ten years. So sometimes you have, you know, thirty-year maturity, and if you have a cra- crazy Argentine investors, you have a hundred-year maturity. But five-year maturities are are very standard, and like there's there's no there's no rule that says the banks have to lend with flexible rates. I mean. Bonds have flexible rates. They they used in fact, if you go back to the 80s, uh, almost all the sovereign bonds are and 70s too are all flexible rate products. So th- this this bit about um, Worrying because these are shorter maturity or flexible rates. I mean, th- these are just negotiated on the market. The bar- bank can lend at uh, on a fixed rate, and if it it's worried about fluctuations, it can buy a hedge. And the country, uh, if it borrows a flexible rate, I am betting that they are buying a hedge so that they are not exposed to uh, the fluctuation in the rates. Uh, so. Uh, I, I, I just didn't understand that part of what people were telling you. And I'm, on, I'm wondering whether there was a, a deeper bit to this story or that's just their like standard pitch.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be to be perfectly frank, I'm not sure how much hedging is going on um, for interest rate uh, variations. I do know that in terms of sort of the repayments and the rollover risk um, with syndicated loans they tend to have sort of an amorti- amortization schedule so and then and that seems to be co- like it would be colliding a bit with this what's been called a wall of maturity facing a lot of particularly african borrowers in the next couple of years because this is when a ton of their big bond issuances are are coming due so i think the concern is that even if even if you've got a 5 year syndicated loan that some of the repayments are going to start coinciding with other repayments and it's going to be very difficult to roll over those those bonds um and and these syndicated loans
2: and and what about the the insurance slash guarantee aspects of this. So I, I don't, I, and I know you talked to some of the veterans of the syndicated loan market. I'm guessing most of whom are probably retired by now. But um, my memory of studying the, Lat- the resolutions of the Latin American debt crisis uh, is that most of those syndicated loans uh, didn't have Insurance aspects or guarantee aspects attached to them, but this generation does seem to have these aspects, and uh, I I don't really have a basis for explaining why I get the heebie-jeebies when I Mm -hmm. see sovereign guarantees. But uh, it seems like every time Mark and I look at these guarantees, like we're we most recently have been looking at Sri Lanka's uh, guaranteed airline bond. They just seem like there's something fishy going on. Like somebody is getting a side deal somewhere as to why this sort of secret guaranteed instrument is being issued. And maybe it's my colonial uh, uh, the background of being a colonial subject, but uh, seeing uh, standard chartered lending in Africa. Um, I, I I just, I get extra <laughs> because they, it just sounds like it's an old con- colonial bank exploiting old relationships with under the table handshakes, but I'm sure they're all very uh, above board. Actually, why do I say I'm sure? I'm not sure at all, <laughs> but I'm w- w- wondering about the guarantee insurance aspect uh, of all of this, because this seems new.
1: Mark, I, yeah. mean, I don't
2: know if you ever thought about that too, but uh, let's give it to Chelsea first.
1: Yeah, I think that is one of the newer innovations of this revival, um, and I think this is something that predates, you know, this year. But there, there definitely has been a big increase in syndicated loans, particularly to emerging market governments uh, that are guaranteed by export. Agencies. So, typically, the the export agency is in you know a uh, uh, a wealthier Western country. The UK uh, is big on this. Germany's export agency does this a lot. France's and yeah. So they they will guarantee part of the loan uh, to to these countries. And then yeah. And then on a separate note, there's the rise of of credit risk insurance, uh, which is something that came into play with, with Ghana's recent syndicated loan proposal, which has not yet been approved. One of the reasons is because there's a lot of pushback to the fact that Ghana would have to pay, I think, something like $45 million for, um, for a credit risk insurance policy. So in theory, these are things that do make it you know, safer for, for a borrower, or excuse me, for, for the lenders, um, but at least in, in Ghana's case, the, there there's some some unhappiness about how that's making it more expensive.
0: Yeah, I mean the guarantees are are interesting, and in some ways the question might be why you don't see more similar kinds of arrangements in the sovereign bond context. I mean, me too. My reaction is like, all right, you're lending to a country. And you already have to think about the country's sovereign immunity, but now you've, you've in addition, got to think of the fact that all of its assets are actually divvied up into dozens or hundreds of legally separate entities. And so, you know, if you can bargain to have a bigger pot of assets on the hook for the loan, uh, why wouldn't you? Um And it's strange in some ways that that doesn't happen uh, in the sovereign debt context very much. Um, I'm sorry, can I, I want to talk about the confidentiality parts of the standard syndicated loan package, Chelsea, because I I got the sense that, and I've heard from from others that bondholders in particular like to point to the non-transparency of the the syndicated lending market as one of its great defects and you know it makes sense to me to the extent the fact of or the amount of uh, these loans are secret that that could be a problem, especially for for new lenders. but you know' um, we hear these similar complaints with regard to Chinese lending and I my reaction, usually is that when people complain about the lack of transparency it's all kind of bullshit and that what they're really saying is i don't like the existence of lenders who might be able to carve out a better deal for themselves if if things go sour you know i'm locked into this collective action clause and meanwhile they're free to cut their own deal is that the what do you think is really underlying this concern with non-transparency, at least when it when it comes from other investors?
1: Hmm. yeah. I guess um, it does seem that there has been. An improvement in the transparency in this market to some degree, for one, a lot of countries now do have to get parliamentary approval for them. So in the case of Ghana, that's how we were able to get the the loan uh, documents because they did have to submit it to Parliament uh, before they could approve it. I think the other thing that's maybe helped with transparency is that there's a much bigger market now for uh, there's this big, bigger secondary market now. So uh, typically these loans are arranged among a certain number of banks, but now they'll sell those on to, to institutional investors and asset managers as well. So there's a broader investor base in them now. And, and I think that has to some degree helped with the transparency of them. Um, but I think for a lot of the a lot of the complaints about transparency, you know, aren't coming from the bankers involved or the sort of investors buying those on the secondary market. It's, it's largely coming from the people in the countries or uh, that, that have taken out these loans. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's not as easy to find information about these as, as, as for bonds, like it's, there, it's just much more difficult. Sometimes you can find the term sheets, but it's, it, it definitely is more difficult to find information and to find very detailed information on, on these loans. And there have been cases where the loans weren't announced, where, th- where they were secret. So I think they do have a bit of a reputation for, um, for not being quite as transparent.
2: Yeah, one of the, so the, I, I promise I have a question, but I'm gonna reveal some of my irritation here, That which is that often these, the new generation of loans, and I remember seeing this in the case of, of the promissory notes for Venezuela some years ago, uh, the same people, who were complaining about lack of transparency and not being able to get these documents were the ones who were holding the damn things. And they were not willing to share any of them or make them public. I I mean, like I am betting that uh, these banks or the investors who are holding these they're not putting them up on the website saying, oh, here are the terms that we negotiated that we have for these, but but they are willing to complain, oh, I don't know the terms of the Chinese debt, and I don't know the terms of the syndicated debt, and therefore I cannot eg- enter into a restructuring because I don't know what the hell is going on. I, I, could, I couldn't agree more with Mark that often the transparency part is just complete bullshit. But I have a question that's unrelated to my complaining about transparency here, which is that um, one aspect of this, of the modern syndicated loans, and because of the lack of transparency, I can't see a lot of the documentation, but my understanding, and you confirmed this, I think, is that unlike the syndicated loans of the Eighties and the seventies, the petrodollar fueled syndicated loans. These ones do not have as stringent restrictions on being able to sell on the secondary market. Now, those old syndicated loan instruments, you you couldn't sell. I think without the permission of the of a majority of the syndicate, or in some cases. A unanimous approval from the others in the syndicate, and one of the characteristics of the syndicated loan instrument was you were in the instrument along with all of your rich and powerful friends, and that gave you some kind of uh, protection or insurance. You all acted together, and you could work out things together. But these are these are different. These are basically tradable instruments on the secondary market is is that right and the, so that means this is a this is that's another aspect of this that's that's quite different
1: yeah i think the growth of the secondary market is definitely one of the big big changes and um yeah how that impacts you know changes they they would like to make or restructurings uh, amendments to these loans i i'm not so sure but Obviously, there's a bigger base of people investing in them now. Of if, if lenders in a syndicated loan, like there's the banks themselves, and then there's also now, in many cases, the institutional investors. So maybe that does make it harder to to get agreement on um, on any changes you'd like to make to the loans. But from what I understand, most of the loans now you. Only need unanimous approval if you're going to change the sort of payment terms of the loans, and then for for other things like um, like if you want to change sort of the ownership structure, the holding structure, um, you would need a majority. So I think it has I think the sort of the percentage you need to to um, to make changes to the loan. It, there has been some softening on that. So th-
2: this is this is fascinating. I'm so glad um, you brought that up. So that that I don't think that part is in the, in the story, but that is um, such an important part. So in the plain vanilla sovereign bond instrument that, that is issued these days, you have collective action clauses that allow for a super majority of creditors uh, to, do a cram down on dissenting minority creditors, but the syndicated loans, as I understand what you said, and as I understood from that Ghanaian document, although the terms were not, we didn't couldn't really read the full set of terms. It looks like those are those still give each individual holder a veto on a restructuring of the payment terms which means if I hold a syndicated loan instrument, I'm effectively senior to all of the bonds that are out there. So that gives us, that gives us a very different story potentially than the story about, oh, these are shorter term and higher interest rate or flexible versus fixed interest rate. Uh, that might be true, but also what these investors are getting, it seems like, and please correct me if, if this is, I'm just extrapolating too much. It, it seems like they're also getting structural priority in that their instruments are going to be much harder to restructure. So if I were an investor, I would want this syndicated loan because you can't restructure me, Mark. It, it, I mean, that, and then there's the other aspect that if, if the, the guarantee is from an official sector institution like some government institution or a multilateral exim bank, or I guess exim banks are not multilateral, they're national, but those are kind of official sector lending too. So this, this whole, it's just a whole new creature. Sorry, Chelsea, and I, I think there was a question somewhere, or sorry, Mark, um, but I just spouted a bunch of confusing things.
0: I I, I was just going to add, or maybe qualify me to, um, in a way, this is this is just part of, this is unavoidable, isn't it? In a world where we have both bond lending subject to CACs and syndicated lending. Of any type. I mean, even in the old club network that you described uh, from the 70s or 80s, if you imagine syndicated lending in the modern world that followed that model, you know, those clubs, we think of them as, you know, as as those networks facilitate restructuring, but they can also facilitate holding out. And in a world where you've got a lot of other commercial creditors who can take the hit, holding out becomes a lot more uh, uh, a lot more attractive. So I, I'm not even sure it's a property of the contract terms, so much as the fact that you've got commercial creditors who aren't subject to, the same collective voting process. I don't know that. That's still not a question, Chelsea. But I guess the 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 question is: like, It did you get that sense from talking to people that there's a concern that, like, look, these jerks are giving themselves a a way out of any restructuring.
1: I mean, I didn't get that sense directly from people that I talked to. Um, I, I guess what people involved in syndicated lending told me was that these are they tend to be more flexible and that they that there are often options to say extend the loan if you face another maturity coming due, and we we've seen that uh, with with some countries, Kenya did it in 2014. They were able they were facing a bond repayment. They were able to extend the their syndicated loan past that to sort of give them some breathing room. So um there does seem to be flexibility on the behalf of of some of these lenders. I think they. Sort of like China, they would rather defer than take some sort of haircut on a restructuring. So, I guess that was since I got. Um, but also, I think with with this, you have to caveat everything with saying that these there's there's not a lot known on what's a standard in a syndicated loan contract. We really don't know um, all the details of these. So you know, the, the terms, the restructuring um, rules like it it could vary on basic, basically for every syndicated loan.
0: Well, it's so funny since so much effort has gone over the last 20 years or so into collective voting in bond contracts as a solution to all of the problems of the sovereign debt crisis and restructuring. and And so one of the takeaways and interesting things about the article is those, those initiatives, if they ever had a ton of merit, are so incomplete that it's kind of hard to take them seriously as, as policy interventions. But anyway, that's, that's um, not an, especially hot take. Thank you. um, We've taken up a bunch of your time. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this. And I, and I hope maybe we can persuade you to come back at some point to talk about gosh all kinds of other stuff we didn't talk about italy at all um but we'll have plenty of chances probably in the future but uh uh, in any event thanks so much for coming on
1: yeah thank you guys so much for having me